Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Most people have a misplaced hope. And what I mean by that is we all go through times of hardships, problems, struggles, and we need help. We need assistance. Sometimes we need personal help from an individual. Other times we look to medicine, we look to some other material thing to solve that problem, help us out. And the vast majority of times, we don't get that help. It truly doesn't do what it says it's supposed to do. Someone makes a promise and they simply, for whatever reason, they can't keep that promise. Aren't you glad that that is never the situation with God? God keeps his promises and God is able to deliver everything that he says. So a wise person, they are going to enter into a covenant with God because they realize something. According to the word of God, being in such a covenantal relationship with God has great benefit. So let me ask you, are you in that covenantal relationship with the living God through faith in Messiah Yeshua, that is Jesus Christ? Without that covenant, you are alone in this world, and you are going to be disappointed because what you hope in, the vast majority of times, will not be able to satisfy, deliver what you need. That hope is going to turn to disappointment. Take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Psalms and Psalm 46. Psalm 46 teaches us about the benefits of hoping in the promises of God. Now, not, and we need to be very careful, many people, they have a hope in God, but that hope is based upon their desires, what they want God to do. What they see is, is the solution to their problems. The Bible doesn't offer that type of hope. God's hope is rooted in his word, what God has promised. So don't make the air where I need this, I want this, I believe that this is what I have coming to me, and therefore, God, I'm looking to you to deliver it. If God hasn't promised it in his word, more than likely, God's not going to do it. So we need to have a hope that is rooted in the truth of God, in his word, in his written promises that we find in his word. Psalm 46 reveals to us what we should hope for, what we should believe in, and the true benefits of being in a covenantal relationship with God. With that said, take out your Bible and look with me to Psalm 46, 
and we're going to complete this brief psalm, God willing, in this study. We begin with the inscription where it says, Lam this is the term which means to the, the choir director, the music leader, the one who oversees and directs the orchestra. So this was indeed a psalm of worship, one that was sung. Once more we read, to the chief music director by the sons of Korach. And the sons of Korach were Levites. And therefore, they were related to worship. And this specific psalm, and here it's going to be called in a moment, Shir, which is a song. And it could be because the next phrase is al-alamot. This could mean upon, and the term alamot, according to many of the rabbinical commentators, this was a musical instrument. So this would mean that this would be chanted, sung within a, a construction of worship with many of these instruments called the, the alama. Now, there's something else we need to know. There's a term in Hebrew, alma, and this term has to do not with an instrument, but a godly woman, one who is righteous who submits to the instructions, the commandments of God. So this may be a song that such women would sing. And they would sing it in order to encourage the, the congregation of Israel in trusting in God, putting their hope in him and his word. So it's either referring to an instrument or a type of godly woman who, who would sing this publicly in a group. Verse 2 in Hebrew, verse 1 in English. God, he is for us. And because of that, it says that he is a, a shelter for us. And what else? Strength. Now, God is promising two things. The scripture says, God is for us, and then it reveals that he is a, a shelter. He defends, but he also just doesn't defend us. He also gives us strength, power. So we're not always just protected from the enemy. Sometimes that he gives us power to overcome and to defeat the enemy. So God can do both. He can protect us and he can empower us to experience victory over our enemies. Then it tells us in the same, same verse, help in trouble. And, and this help he's found in these troublesome time very much. Now, usually most Bibles say, a very present. Why present? This word nimsa has to do with God being found. So he is a very present help in times of trouble. And literally, trouble is in the plural, which probably means abundant trouble, great hardship. So what do we learn? God is a defense. He is a covering. He's a shelter for us. He's also powerful, and he will give us, he will empower us, he will strengthen us. 
And he will do this in these difficult times, a very present help in times of trouble. Next verse, verse 2 in most languages, 3 in Hebrew. Therefore, it says, we will not fear when. And this next word is a word of change. I think many translations will speak about transformation. But it's simply a word of change. And at times, things change in this world. And the changes can be very unfortunate, difficult things. So it's a statement of affirmation. Even in the times when this earth is changing, that can bring about uncertainty. We don't know where we're going to, what's going to happen, and such. It says, we will not fear when the earth, when it changes, when the mountains collapse into the, the heart of the sea. Now, those are some pretty big changes. When mountains collapse, all of this is speaking about a transition to a new reality. Now, here's one of the principles that we can learn from, from this scripture, and that is this. The future is good for us. It may be difficult to get to the future, but in the end, things are going to be well for those who have trusted in God, those who rely upon his promises. God is going to help us. God is going to strengthen us. God is going to defend us. And in the end, when these changes begin to happen in the world and there's going to be a new reality, that's okay because it ends well for us. Now, the immediate future may not be good. Those changes may be very hard for us. We may suffer, but in the end, just given enough time, things are going to end well for believers. And that's why he says that he is that present help. Verse, verse 4 in Hebrew 3 in English. It speaks about things making noise, a disturbance. And then it speaks about the waters, his waters foaming. Now, it's a word of being agitated, being stirred up. So there's great disturbances. His water is stirred up, meaning the seas and such. And the mountains, they begin to shake with swelling. And the next word is Selah. Selah is a word of, of sighing, most of the commentators say. It's a word of pausing. So in the midst of these things, when there's great disturbance, when, when mountains are swelling up, when, when waters and seas are roaring and such, pause for a moment. Realize that if such thing is happening in this world, God's in it. If the world is going through this major change, such a metamorphosis, realize this isn't surprising God and such changes he is, is part of. He is allowing them. He may be causing them because the time is at hand for change. And if you are in God's will, if you are committed to his purposes, these changes are not going to surprise us. Let me give you an example of why I say this. Now, most of us are very familiar with the parable 
of the prodigal son, that lost son. And we learn something. He gets an inheritance. He leaves his his country. He goes out and he begins to live in an unrighteous way. And when all that money that he received is gone, then a famine in the land happens, that country that he has departed to. What's the principle? Sin leads us unprepared for the future. But when we are walking in righteousness, when we are following after God, when we are listening to the Holy Spirit, when we are obedient to the Word of God, we will be prepared. The future is not going to get the best of us. So it says here, when these things begin to happen, just pause, take a breath, realize things like this do happen, but God is with us. And then it speaks about perhaps what what the outcome of these fearful things the world is going to bring about. Look, if you would, to the next verse. Now, I highlighted this in a unique way in my Bible. We have here the phrase river. There is a river. The scripture simply says a river and its channels, its streams make glad the city of God. Now, that term, the city of God, is a reference to the kingdom. So there is a river. We read the book of Revelation. We know there is that river in the new Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is indeed the city of God. Many times Jerusalem is seen as simply a a reference to the kingdom. So there's a river whose channels, whose streams will make glad the city of God. And what's the next word? Holy. Now, most Bibles say a holy place, but it's simply holy. It is an adjective that describes what God is up to. God is going to bring a transformation, this stream, and many times the Holy Spirit is is referenced in the Scripture to, to waters. So it's going to be the releasing of of the streams of God, the Spirit of God, those floods of the Holy Spirit that come, who is going to bring about holiness. And then he says, a holy place is the tabernacle of the Most High, the dwelling places of God. So we need to realize what's happening. The previous verse talks about these these cosmic changes that are coming throughout the world, throughout God's creation. We can sit back. It may be difficult. It may be hard. It may be unsettling, but God is with us. And therefore, in the end, that God is going to release his spirit, and it's going to make glad the city of God. And of course, those are the residents of the city of God. It's going to be a holy place where God dwells, the tabernacle of our our Most High God. Verse 6 in Hebrew, 5 in other languages. God, and notice how it goes along with the kingdom experience. God is in her midst, and therefore she will not collapse. Don't think that there's going to be something 
Where God is that's going to collapse, fail, fall, be broken. It's not the case. God is in her midst, meaning in the midst of the city. It's not going to collapse. These things are all giving rise to. It's part of the necessary thing to bring this transformation from this world into the kingdom of God. We find that God will help her, meaning help this city, lift note boker, before the morning. Now, what this speaks of before the morning is usually the darkest part of, of the evening. Right before the light becomes, it's the most dark. And the image that God wants to say is this. In the midst of this, this thick darkness, these difficult times where God is seen as, as most remote, don't worry, don't fret, because he is at work. And there's going to be a transformation to that which is good. Usually morning is, is related to light, to revelation, to seeing things properly. So in the midst of this darkness before morning, when it's the darkest time and you don't see things, that's when you have to trust and believe that God will manifest soon his promises. There's going to be a fulfillment. Verse 7 in Hebrew, 6 in other languages. Once again, we speak about the nations, and this could be the, the inhabitants of the world. We're talking about people scattered about. It says that, that they will, they will uh, uh, make noise. They're going to be disturbed. And it talks about the kingdoms. They're going to collapse. So we looked, and, and the people are all going to be in an uproar. That's how we can understand that, that first expression. And their kingdom, the kingdom that belongs to man, all of these are going to collapse. How? His voice he will give, or his voice is given, and it says the earth melts. So all of this is going to come about how? Simply because God speaks. God's word brings about a change. He is going to speak, and there's going to be a great change in this world, great in every sense of that word. It is going to be, sometimes the word great simply means a large, a big. There's going to be a big change. But in the end, God is going to establish, as we just saw, his city, meaning his kingdom in this world. Verse, verse 8 in Hebrew, 7 in other languages. Here's what we need to remember. Here's the promise. We read, Adonai Tzavot Imanu. The Lord of hosts is with us. Now, usually when we come across that phrase, the Lord of hosts, I like to talk about the meaning of that word host. It's a military term. It's simply a word for army in the plural. So the Lord of the armies. The plural sometimes is used to just speak about mighty abundance. So the Lord of an abundant, strong, powerful, numerous army is at God's disposal. God just speaks and they, they carry it out. And it says, the Lord of hosts 
is with us. Then we read, a stronghold for us is the God of Yaakov, Jacob. Now, isn't it interesting that we have the God of Jacob? This is just another proof that what so frequently we hear in Christianity about that name Jacob is false. It's not speaking about a God of a deceiver, but rather it's speaking about the God of the one who pursued the the heritage, the character, the things of God. That was Jacob. He wasn't a deceiver. When someone says that, they do not understand what is said in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 25, nor in Genesis 27. They do not see the connection between these two passages and what the word of God clearly and accurately says about Jacob. So we have here that the God of Jacob is for us, this this refuge, this stronghold. And then we read, Lehu Chazu, which means come. It's a word that demands a response. Come. One needs to position himself, herself, in the right location so that we can perceive, what's the next phrase? It's about seeing a vision. So respond to God's word so that you can receive the right perspective to understand the vision that God is giving at this time. So this is a very well-known scripture, a very important one where it says, come and see, and we have the word mif'alot. Now, mif'al is the word for a factory. There's activity going on, functioning. So it says here, come and, and perceive. Get the right vision of the activities of God. What God is is working. Now, I like the word mif'al as plant or a factory because plants and factories, they work and in the end, there's a product. There's something that is produced. There's an outcome. There's a result. They produce something. So too with God. God's activity always produces something. There's always an outcome. But if we want to see it and not just see it, but experience it, We need to go to where God is working and receive the vision that he has for us so that we can see the activities of the Lord and how he placed desolate the the earth. God is working to bring desolation into this earth. Why? Well, most scholars see this as a, a reference to judgment. And it just tells us, teaches us, reinforce what I've said many times, and that is God's, God's judgment is a necessary ingredient to bring about the change that we all desire if we desire the kingdom of God. God's kingdom will not be established without judgment. And that's why it is so troubling when people have a theology, in fact, I was listening to an individual, and uh, this individual, he has been caught up in a movement that's rooted in prosperity, healing, and destiny. This is what that group speaks about all the time. Now, 
Does God give prosperity, wealth to people? At times he does. Does God heal people? Yes, at times he does. And does God bring about a fulfillment of his will? Yes, he does. But here's the problem. They teach that always it is God's will, always, always, always to heal, always, always to make prosperous, successful, and that your destiny is always what you want it to be. That's not the case. What you're praying for, what you're hoping for, that's not the case. Remember, you got to move and see what God's up to. Why? Because where we most of the time are located is not in the position where we can see the activity of God. We need to make a change in location so we can have a change in perspective so that we can see what God's up to and agree with him. And the problem is this. He was speaking to a, a very popular man on, on television that has a, a Christian uh, program. And they were talking about the victorious church, one that's going to be holy and, and pure and righteous and powerful and successful and fulfills one that God is well pleased with. Now, in the end, that's true. But here's the problem. They believe that that's going to come about and is now the potential. It's not. Why do I say that? Because we know that there are difficult times coming. What we find is in the book of Revelation, it speaks about the bride and how she has prepared herself and that she has on, on good garments and her garments are the righteousness of the saints. But, but when does that become a reality? It becomes a reality after an intense time of persecution. And, and here's the problem. The theology that, that these two men are embracing is this, that things are going to get better, that the, that the church is going to get more faithful, more obedient, have more of an effect, bring about a greater outcome of a righteousness holiness, the things of God in this world, in, in all segments of life. That's what they're expecting. I don't expect that. It's not going to happen. What do I expect? I expect the world to rise up against believers. And believers will suffer intensely. We see a foreshadowing of that now. In some places, quite intense if you're a believer. And the number of places will increase. The persecution will become more severe throughout all the world. But it's that persecution that is going to bring about a, a holiness, a, a persistence in the things of God. It's going to be used as a separation. It's going to be these hardships that is going to cause the, the bride of Messiah, the ecclesia, the congregation of redeemed to put on those righteous garments, those good deeds of obedience. We are not there at that time of being a God-pleasing congregation. That's why God will allow this time of hardship. And, and this is what we're seeing in the scripture. We see here that, that God is going to go to work, but we need to move we need to have the right perspective because we don't in and of ourselves of what God is doing. And he is going to, notice what it says, Asher Sam, 
Shemot, Ba'arts, that he is going to put desolation in the earth. That word, he's going to make things desolate. It's a word of destruction. And in the end, God's going to do what? Look at the next verse, verse 10 in, in Hebrew, 9 in English. We read, Mashbit Milchamot. He's going to bring a ceasing, a cause of stopping. Now, this word, mashpit, is where we get the same word, Shabbat or Sabbath. It's a word of stopping, ceasing. And what we have is an image that the world is going to be full of wars and conflicts. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. Messiah says in Matthew 24 on that Sermon on the Mount, the Olivet Discourse, excuse me. Well, it's on the Mount of Olives, not the, the uh, mountain in Galilee, the Sermon on the Mount, but it's a sermon on a different mountain, the Mount of Olives. He teaches the people that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, that, that one ethnic group is going to rise up against another ethnic group and kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation. There's going to be hardships of a wide variety of, of earthquakes and famines and pestilence. All of this is going to happen. The world is going to be full of war, but it's God through what? His judgment that is going to cause an ending, a ceasing of war unto the ends of the earth. He will break the bow and he is going to divide into the, the spear. And the, the, the word is agalot, which is probably a reference to mirkavot, which are chariots. So he's going to burn with fire the chariots, the carts, those things that they bring out weapons, and perhaps the chariots themselves for battle. He's going to burn them up. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, now we come to the conclusion, the last two verses. Look at verse 11 in Hebrew 10, a very unique word, harpu. What's harpu? Harpu is a word of letting go. It's a word of, of trusting. It's let go and let God. What does that mean? Well, it means that we have to submit, surrender to him. When these things are happening, we have to just go through them with him. Remember, he's with us, a very present help in times of trouble. So what this scripture says, look again at our text. Harpu ud'u. It's only when we let go of, of trying to control everything, being in charge, orchestrated ourselves. It's only when we submit to God, turn everything over and say, God, this is beyond me. I can't deal with this. He can. So this is what it's talking about a surrender over to him. And when we do this, it says, harpu ud'u. Ud'u is and no. You won't know unless you submit to him, surrender to him, let go of it. Allow him to take hold of, of all of these problems. Don't persist in trying to solve them yourself. Turn them over to God.
And when you do so, God is going to infuse you with knowledge. That's what it's saying here. Let go and know that I and Elohim, I am God. And the term God here relates to judge. That he's going to be the one, the supreme authority that puts things in order. But here's the key. Through his judgment. That's what he's saying. And then it says, I will exalt or be exalted. I will be exalted among the nations. And this more than likely means all the people of the nations. I will be exalted in earth, meaning all of his creation. God is going to be exalted by means of his judgment. That's why it's so important that we do not ignore judgment in the scripture. But but get heavenly minded, because when God's judgment falls in the last days, heaven is going to be praising God, thanking God, speaking about his righteous judgment in the world. Why? Because this is what's going to put things in order. This is what's going to bring about the vindication of his people. Last verse, verse 12 in Hebrew, 11 and others. The Lord of hosts, second time we've come across that term. The Lord of hosts, Imanu. What's that? Is with us. This is the second time he's promised he's with us. Allow him to move in our life. Don't, don't quench the Holy Spirit. As long as you are trying to orchestrate things yourself, you're not going to experience what we talked about earlier, miflaot, Hashem, the activities of God. Surrender is a prerequisite. You must surrender and, and, and see God work. It's the same phrase that we encounter in the book of Exodus at the Red Sea, at the parting, when, when Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Here, the terminology is a little bit different, but the same concept, same idea. The Lord of hosts is with us, and he is a misgav. He is a refuge for us, who is the second time we see the God of Jacob. And then it ends with this term, selah, meaning pause, take a sigh, take a break, realize this is God's time. God's judgment is about him manifesting himself. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank <laughs> you.